Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Kane, we're uh, we're back, and uh, we're right back where we started, I guess. One-one uh, <laughs> heading into Game Three. Figured we'd do a crossover heading into the weekend, and um, I don't know. I, I I feel like I really do feel like we, we both have things to lean on here and feel good about our teams. I think so too. First of all, I will say it's strange. We recorded this exactly a week ago and we've only had two games, which feels weird. It feels (laughs) like there should have been some more games than just a 1-1 split here. But yeah, no doubt about it. I think it's interesting to look at the two results. And if you flip these games, then maybe there's more optimism about the Bucs. Right now, there's more optimism about the Celtics and you always lean on the last game that you've seen in the playoffs. And that's why these series are so interesting how quickly the narrative turns, but I would agree. I think uh, we've seen some positives for both teams and probably certainly for Milwaukee from game two, some things to be concerned about. Yeah. I mean, look, that that's how it goes. It's because the Celtics won the second game. They are the team that has figured some things out. Right. Yes. So, but that I would say that within game two, there, there was a constant like flow. It wasn't like the, the Celtics ended up winning by, you know, 20 plus, but that, Within that was a big Bucks run that involved their own adjustments. So I, I, I don't know. I I feel confident about the Celtics because I think they put together two really good defensive games. And they lost game one in part because they couldn't hit a damn thing. Now, they couldn't hit a damn thing because of how they were being defended and the decisions that they were making. I personally feel good about the two defensive performances that the Celtics have put up. What do you feel best about when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, definitely the defense as well, because uh, coming in, we did the crossover, the preview uh, for this series. And I said, look, I am really concerned about the Bucks' ability to generate offense in the half court without Chris Middleton. This is the number one guy that can score in isolation, that can get his own shot from the outside. And without that, I was concerned that the guys that were going to be in the lineup outside of Giannis, outside of Drew Holiday, were going to be able to generate enough or generate anything, let's say, off the dribble. Uh, but defensively, again, I mean, I honestly thought that the Bucks were fine in game two. I don't think it was an awful defensive performance by any stretch. Now, clearly, if a team, any team, the Boston Celtics, whoever it is, are going to shoot 60-plus percent from three in a half, you're probably not going to win too many of those games. And in game one, the Celtics actually shot a better percentage from three than the Bucks. Now, clearly, there was a high volume of threes. There was a lot of talk about them missing threes. But we understand that the Bucs are fine with that. That was that was what their intention was coming into the game. The Celtics missed some of those shots. But ultimately, I think the Bucs have been fine uh, defensively in both of these games. And the big question's on the other end of the floor. Are they able to generate scoring in the half court? Are they able to get shots up on the perimeter? That's the big question. And that's, that's why I, I lean so much on the Celtics' defense. Because of the things that they adjusted in the second round, it was in, in, in the second game, it was staying home on 
the other guys and trusting Grant Williams and, and Al Horford to handle Giannis one-on-one. And the key to defending Giannis is to keep him, I say in check, when knowing, we all know what in check means for Giannis. It means putting up an awesome game, not a godlike game. Like, you look at his numbers and you're like, that's holding him in check? But like, it's good enough. Like, they, they defended Giannis well enough. And the biggest difference for me was, yeah, Giannis got seven assists in the second game versus 12 in the first game. But in the of the 12 in the first game, seven of those were out to three points. And in, in the second game, none of his assists were for three-pointers. The Celtics stayed home on the perimeter and said, we're not letting Pat Connaughton or Grayson Allen or Drew Holiday or Bobby Portis beat us with the three-pointer like we did helping one pass away. We are going to go in there and we're going to like maybe dig a little. We're going to fake. We're going to – but in the half court, it's, all right, Grant, all right, Al, you just do what you got to do. Take a few bumps, but it, they I think they did well enough, especially in the first half where he was 2 of 12. I lean on that to, to say if they can continue to do that, then I, I feel good about the Celtics' chances in the series. Yeah, he's shooting under 40% from the field, which is yeah, basically unheard of for Giannis. It's not normally the way things go. It was interesting that in the aftermath of game one because I think we all – were watching the game and probably thinking the same thing. Yeah, Giannis was actually 9 for 25, so it wasn't his usual efficiency. Uh, similar to game two, I thought he missed a lot of shots at the rim where I was just uh, scratching my head saying, Giannis does not miss those shots. I think he had some of those in game two as well. So I would expect at some point he's going to have an efficient night. Uh, but the big talking point out of the game was exactly what you pointed to. Uh, some of the doubles, let's say, were not the... Uh, the most perfect executed doubles in the first game of this series. And Giannis was just like, okay, fine. I'm going to find this shooter. I'm going to find this guy. And he was able to sort of pick the Celtics apart. He wasn't able to do that in game one. Uh, but I'm more curious more than anything because Giannis, you know, for all the talk of Giannis just being the guy that gets downhill and physically dominates people, uh, he's a very cerebral player. He's a very smart player. But one thing that he doesn't actually have to deal with a lot is one-on-one coverages because not many teams even bother to do that with him because they know that they can't do it. So I'm curious to see how he personally adjusts to this. And of course, over the course of a, a long series, uh, you know, we'll see whether that, that one-on-one coverage holds up. And I thought actually in the second half, they started to figure things out a little bit more. Uh, ultimately, some of the offensive numbers, I think is probably what we both predicted coming into the series. So if you just look at the averages across the board, uh, Bucks 44 points in the paint to the Celtics, 22. This is averages, so they're dominating in the paint. That's not a big surprise to anyone. They're leading the fast break point count 17 to 7 per game and the second chance points 14 to 11. So a lot of the indicators for the Bucks having success offensively are there. Uh, they just never get shut off at the three-point line like they were the other night. Uh, you already said it perfectly, I think, John, with the staying at home at the shooters, that was clearly a key point. Um, because sometimes you'll miss threes. Sometimes you'll you'll have a hot night. The Celtics clearly had a hot uh, first half. But for the Bucs to only attempt 18 is absolutely unheard of. And there's a lot of talk from Bucks fans about, well, just move the ball a little bit more. But the problem is, if you don't have guys that can create off the dribble on the perimeter, just passing the ball around the perimeter to a switching defense isn't really going to do you any favors. Right. So it, it starts with Giannis. It has to be him. 
he hasn't got his pick and roll partner and Chris Middleton there, but it'll be about him saying, okay, I've got a couple of days now. I've seen what they do when they double team. I feel comfortable that I can get all the guys involved. Now, how do I, as the best player in this team, what everyone thinks is the best player in this series, how do I handle one-on-one coverages? And uh, and to, like I said, I mean, not many teams go one-on-one. So it was probably a bit of shock value for him as well. I, I really honestly think that in game two, we really saw the, the beginnings of, oh, wow, they don't have Chris Middleton. Like that, that is where... You just say, okay, we're in the half court. Okay, this is where you run the Middleton pick and roll. This is where you you dare the Celtics to make a decision. Are you going to play drop? Are you going to play? Are you going to switch? Are you going to stay home? Like, w- w- what are you going to do? So, I, I honestly, I think that the you got – I think game one, you really got a lot of um, Milwaukee saying, oh, oh, you don't think we can we can win this without Middleton? Watch this, and they came on. They played great. Um, the the physicality definitely shocked the Celtics. Like after game one, they're like, "Yeah, you know, it was a little bit surprising. We don't want to go too crazy." And after game two, Ime Udoka was like, "Yeah, I think after the Brooklyn series, uh, we were taken aback by by the uh, physicality of the Bucks, which is exactly what I said was going to happen. That after playing the Bucks and after having such an easy road, I mean, I'm sorry, after playing the Nets." And having such an easy road, that game one against Milwaukee, there was going to be a very much of a, a smack you in the face moment when you figure out, like, oh god, these guys really are big and they like to hit you. And you mentioned it in the in the first episode, our first crossover, that the physicality was going to go the Bucks way. And I said, nah, you know, I think it could be, I think it can even out. I think the game one. It, definitely went the Bucks way. I think it evened out in that second game. And in the second game, we got the, oh, they don't have Middleton. And when they get into trouble in the half court, now what? Yeah. I, and again, it's, it's the question will be, well, where does Giannis get his touches? And, and I actually think that for Giannis, he has to, because I do think, like I said, I use the word frazzled, but I think the Bucks had a lot of turnovers. So Giannis is averaging six turnovers per game in this series, which is a few too many for him when you include also the inefficiency with him shooting the ball. And I think part of the the issue for Giannis, particularly in the first half of this series, he did get a lot of touches in that sort of post area and he's one-on-one and he's probably thinking and he said, okay, well, I got Al Horford in front of me here. It's one-on-one. I never get one-on-one situations. What am I going to do? I'm going to go baseline. A lot of the times with guys that he could just out-muscle and go baseline, throw the ball for uh, down for a dunk. He wasn't able to get to those spots. I actually think that he has to find ways. How can I engage multiple defenders and then not rush? And then say, okay, now I can find a shooter. Now I can find a cutter. Now I can find a guy in the dunker spot. So I just thought that in the first half in particular, and you talk about the Bucks smacking the Celtics in the mouth, one of the most predictable things of all time in any series, not just this series, is that if the home team loses the first game, and when you're talking about a really good team like the Celtics are, sure, sure. that first half in the second game, there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, the team that lost at home is like, holy shit. This is, <laughs> we, we have to win this game right now. We can't go home losing two home games. Right. And perhaps on the other side, the team's like, wow, we won game one. This is beautiful. We we did what we wanted to do from this series. And that's that's why I think we'll certainly see this series start to uh, settle out mm-hmm. uh, over the next few games as both teams now have had the shock of, uh, let's be honest, getting their, getting their butts kicked. There you go. Um, 
I I feel like I know what fueled the Celtics in the beginning of game two. I don't have any inside sources, but just by the way they played, I'm willing to bet that they had built bars <laughs> no doubt. before they played. Because I know that built bar is going to be great to give you that boost of energy and that 17 grams of protein. You know, with those nutrients and that protein and how delicious it is, you can't help but build a 25-point lead. doesn't matter who you play. Could have been the Harlem Globetrotters. I think the Celtics, with built bars behind them, would have gone up 25 on the Harlem Globetrotters. That's how good built bars are and built puffs if you're into protein-infused marshmallows covered in a 100% chocolate. Look, it's very simple. You go to built.com. You use the promo code LOCKED15. You're going to get 15% every single time. So you can go sample, buy one thing. You don't have to go crazy. Just buy one thing. When you figure out the stuff that you really like, you can go and stock up. That promo code LOCK15 is going to work every single time. Those built Bars are 130 calories or so, 14 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, about 17 grams of protein. Go to built.com, scroll over all of the, the, the different things that they have. It'll show you the nutritional information so you can see exactly. They're not hiding anything. Built.com, promo code's LOCK15, 15% off your next order. Okay, Kane. Um, I I think, so we had a, a bunch of turnovers in each game. Um, I think the Celtics, the key to this series might simply be, can the Celtics take care of the ball? Because so much flows off of the Celtics turnovers. If if the Bucs are getting into transition, you're going to win. It's as simple as that to me. If the Bucs are forcing the Celtics to turn the ball over, the Bucs are going to win that game. The Bucs are going to win that series because Giannis in transition, unstoppable. Um, the Bucs in transition, too many good shooters to, to take advantage of cross matches. And the types of turnovers that the Celtics have generally been prone to, the live ball, over penetration, get too deep. Jalen Brown was a big, big problem in game one. But get too deep, get stuck, no outlets, and boom, you're off to the races. So to me, as I look forward to game three and, and the rest of the series, and, and what the Celtics didn't do in game two is they didn't turn the ball over. It it might just be as simple as that. We're trying to figure out Giannis and this and that. And we, we could talk about Giannis as the screener because I think that, that was a big thing in the second half. But like to me, right away, I'm just thinking if you if the Celtics can take care of the ball, then they can keep the Bucs in the half court more often. And I think the Celtics def defense against the Bucs half court offense can win them a game. But if the Celtics are giving it up and, and, and you're scoring 20 transition points, forget it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, clearly. I mean, I mentioned the, the fast break points that the Bucs have had an advantage there. So if you can shut the tap off there, uh, because a lot of the times with these turnovers, as you pointed to, if they're live ball turnovers, yeah, you're not going to slow down Giannis. And even uh, some of the other players they have in transition can uh, can score easily. And generally, guys that are going to struggle to score in the half court. Uh, the other avenue of transition offense for the Bucks that we've seen uh, so far in this series is coming off block shots. Uh, when mm -hmm. the Celtics try and get in the paint, Brooke Lopez says, and we can get to that, but he's had an awful offensive series so far. But defensively, he still had some of those block shots and. Uh, you know, in game one, uh, those block shots were going straight to Bucks players. They were able to fuel transition. 
uh, transition basketball. In game two, it was one of those nights where a couple of those block shots, you get a deflection, it goes to the Celtics, they knock down the three-point shot. And, and sure. that's 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 the complete luck of the game. There's not, that's, that's just what it is, uh, but it was one of those nights. So block shots and, and turnovers, uh, I totally agree uh, with that, no doubt. I think it'll be interesting to see with the Bucs. I think they'll obviously stick with the, the big lineup for game three. Uh, with those three guys, I don't think with a one-one split there'll be any panic. That's not typically the way Mike Budenholzer runs things. But I'll be curious if the Bucks did happen to lose game uh, game three here and they go down two-one with game four a must-win at home. I'll be curious to see whether they stick with that with that big lineup there because, uh, as I said, Brook Lopez hasn't been able to be a factor offensively and historically in any series. He has been one of the Bucks' most reliable offensive contributors. And it's not just the three-point shot that we know that he can do, uh, but he's been a factor in the paint. And I just think with all the three big guys in there, closed up space that the Celtics mm-hmm. really, they want to stop Giannis, but I think it is getting a little bit bogged down. Even though the fact that Portis and Lopez can both shoot threes, uh, Lopez has been a non-factor. He's averaging four points per game, but he's actually only attempted two three-pointers uh, for the series across the two right. games, which is ab- absurd. So I think there'll be something to to look into there for the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think the Celtics would be very happy if Brook Lopez wants to take more three pointers. That's something that uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna give anything up, well, someone then... has to take more. John, they took eighteen in game <laughs> two total. That was honestly the number one stat for me was that before garbage time, the Celtics only gave up three three pointer three point attempts to the bench. Which was, you know, that's the when you've got Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton coming off the bench and they killed the Celtics, mm-hmm. um, only giving them three three point attempts was was huge. And yeah, you you need to you need to um, get more of those three pointers off, which is why the Celtics stopped helping. That they, you know, they they I think after after game one, I I said that Giannis with twenty five, I think it was twenty five or twenty three points with twelve assists is going to kill you every single time. If you can get that down to like five, you're going to be okay. Now it was seven, but it was seven without any three-pointers. So I I forget what it was. Generated something like 40 points off of assists um, in game one. And it was like, I forget, but but 14 in game two, whatever was the disparity was, was wide enough where the Celtics were like, okay, this is a, this is a nice trade-off here. If Giannis scores 40 and he has like four assists, I think that's a game the Celtics can win. If 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 he's not finding those guys and Brooke Lopez, if Brooke, Brooke wants to go out there, they want to try space the floor, I, I still think the Celtics will subscribe to Grant and Al Horford just one-on-one, do your thing. Yeah, it might be right, but but ultimately, at the moment, with the way the Bucks' offense has been, because even in Game One, let's and we said this on, on our show post game, we said, okay, what what are the positives here? We'll start with the positives. The defense was excellent. Uh, they've proven that they're going to be in this series on the defensive side of the ball, and I, I will, I'll maintain I thought the defense was perfectly fine in Game Two. Yeah, you got you got smashed in the first half with some three point attempts. Some of them were very difficult. As I said, some of them were fortunate opportunities uh, that just happened in the course of the game. And when things aren't going your way, they're not going your way. But I thought the defense was fine. 109 points is okay. But how are the Bucks going to score? So either Giannis has to score more, or he can assist to it. I don't care. But at the end of the day, I keep coming back to it. But I just can't remember 
the the points from the three point line sixty to nine. I can't remember that yeah. in, in any game. I mean, it's unheard of, and it's basically going to be impossible to win, despite the fact they were scored thirty more points in the paint. So uh, while the Bucks need to find a way uh, to score. The Celtics, 36% from three in game one on a, on a really high volume. So that, for all the talk of the Celtics missing a bunch of shots, it was a pretty decent shooting night for them. And then in game two, they're 46% from three. So the question will be, Boston hasn't been able to find a way to score in, in the paint. Mm-hmm. They've got some mid-range stuff in game two. So how does that uh, uh, begin to impact them? Because I, I don't think that this has been, by any stretch, a blistering start for the Celtics offensively anyway. I think it's been what I I thought it would be and what we both thought it would be. Two two pretty good defenses and let's see who can shoot the three better and let's see who can get better shot quality on the perimeter and they'll probably win the game, which has been the case for both of these games. So one thing that we were talking about in the podcast yesterday was Ime Adoka's comment after game two where he said, it's not like they have, it's not like they're Wilt Chamberlain out there. You can attack these guys. And to hear him say that makes me think, like, whenever Ime says things with that level of confidence, almost like bravado, um, it makes me think, like, he knows something. And so I expect game three to see a lot more Celtics attacking. How does that happen? I don't know. I think think we might see more mid-range to start. And... You know, short roll stuff, uh, pick and rolls where you you know instead of driving all the way in, you you just pull up from the free throw line, and the Celtics just live with those results. And if look, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, when they're stepping into mid range shots, can can knock those down. I think most NBA players, when you're stepping into open mid range shots, you're going to knock those down. If they can come off and hit those shots and just draw Brook Lopez up a little bit. I think then they can start pounding the Bucks with Robert Williams, which I haven't seen in two games. We haven't seen it. Game two, we saw just a tiny bit more. Uh, but I'm looking to the play uh, in the second quarter where Brooke Lopez ended up fouling Robert Williams, but they got Brooke to come up to the free throw line and they ran a set play where Rob – kind of like curls around. It looks like he's going to set a screen and then he goes uh, for the alley-oop. Brooke got back, fouled him, and and Rob got free throws. But that's the type of thing that if I'm looking at what the Celtics are going to do, I'm looking at them softening up, trying to soften up that Bucks defense with those mid-range shots, which I like to call body blows. You just soften them up a little bit. Just get Brooke to come up just enough and then somebody's somebody baseline – will we'll end up, I think, getting those opportunities. Um, or Milwaukee's just going to be like, you know what? If you're going to want to take these mid-range shots, then take all the mid-range shots that you want. And, and they're just going to have to shoot the Bucks to death. I think that's probably the more, <laughs> the more likely of responses because historically, uh, that's what we've seen from the Bucks. And, and to your point, obviously Tatum and Brown can definitely knock them down. And that's kind of how they got started, actually, the first – uh, bucket of the game was Lopez. He was up sort of above that that uh, free throw line, knocked down a mid-range jumper, and then uh, we know what happened after that. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's the benefit. If you have got if you have got Portis and you have got Lopez and you have got Giannis all on the floor, then yeah, you probably should be dominating the paint. But historically, since Bud's been here for four years, 
they have dominated the paint. So I, I, I agree. I'm not sure what would make Udoka feel like he has some secret potion that no one else has had for four years, but I'll be curious to see uh, what that is. I'll tell you what else I was curious to see, and that's the odds at Bet Online for this game. Now, John, you uh, informed me uh, from your very uh, knowledgeable position on the topic of Bet Online that the Bucks are a three-point favorite in this game at Fiserv Forum. Is that is that surprising to you? Is that fair enough um, at home? I think I think at home that makes that makes sense. I think Bucks people are expecting a, a bounce back. You know, first game at home. Yeah, I think I think this would be the game where people might say Giannis goes off. The you know the crowd carries the the role players. You know that cliche: role players play better on the road, play play better at home. So yeah, Bucks minus three. I I can see that making sense. Well, if you're a Celtics fan and you think that that is absolute garbage, then go to BetOnline.net <laughs> and cash in because it is the number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can find the latest sports developments, league news and news, including this year's uh, playoffs that are going on, Major League Baseball. And uh, is this right? This weekend's Run to the Roses is a Kentucky Derby. Is I know, right? Kentucky Derby weekend? That's that exactly correct? what I said when I did that yesterday. I saw that, that ad read. I was like, wait a second. It's Kentucky Derby time already? Yeah, man. I mean, first of all, I, I didn't even know to look at the calendar and realize that it's Kentucky Derby time again. But if you're into that, go to betonline.net. Uh, and they'll have you covered. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Let's bet online where the game starts. I had no idea, but that's the game. The <laughs> game is, at, at, in fact, it's it's on Saturday. It's There you go. So, yeah. So uh, it's going to be going on while, while the uh, Celtics... And Bucks are going on. There will be Kentucky Derby going on. So, is this some kind of setup like the uh, Greek Parade in in Boston for Game yeah, One? You know, like you try and I don't know. Like it didn't <laughs> it didn't work. It no. didn't work. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe they think some of the Celtics are real big uh, horse race aficionados, and uh, I can see I can see uh, Marcus Smart on his uh, on his phone during a timeout going, oh, "How's my bet going?" Checking bet online. Well, that's a great point. Marcus Smart, what's the latest? What do you got? Marcus Smart uh, spoke to the media at uh, after practice on um, on Thursday and uh, said that he feels like he's on track to come back game three. Uh, he said that the this bruise, this basically deep thigh bruise, happened like down at the bottom of his quad, and the swelling and the fluid all kind of like hindered the mo- the range of motion in his knee. Good thing is that the, these three days off right. have, have helped Marcus Smart to a point where he's starting to get some better range of motion. He feels better after today. We'll see what happens tomorrow. It's not going to be great. You know, flying does not help swelling, but uh, we'll see what happens. He's, he says he feels like he'll play in game three, so we'll see. Well, that'll be good news for the Celtics. And as far as Chris Milton goes, uh, by the way, we got the most uh, useless media oh, I release. I mean, it, it's unbelievable stuff. I woke up over here in Australia, get to get the text uh, media release from the Bucks. Okay, let's see what this is about. Uh, just to let all you guys know, uh, Chris Milton is progressing. Uh, we'll let you know if anything else changes. Beautiful. Thanks a lot Great. for that update. Thank there. you. So, so well, Bud was asked that after practice. 
Uh, is he going to play in game three and four? He said no. Uh, would he play later on this series? Uh, we'll see. So the Bucks, as they always do, playing their cards close to their chest. But I don't think that he's playing uh, in this series. Uh, elsewhere, uh, George Hill uh, did some five-on-five. It looked like today, first time in a while. So he might be back at some point in this series, which uh, maybe you might scoff and say, well, George Hill, at this point, he's not going to be altering the series. And I would agree with that. Uh, but I will say, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're the Bucks and you, you are really lacking for guys that can handle the ball and can at least run a pick and roll and can get into the paint and try and create some stuff, uh, George Hill would be pretty handy because, uh, yes, he's obviously lost a step or two, but still a pretty crafty player. And he's not hes not at the level of uh, both of our uh, friends and Milwaukee Bucks champion, Jeff Teague. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yes, uh, give, give Jeff Teague the proper respect due for, uh, for winning the championship, having been a big, big part of that championship run. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think if if you bring George Hill back, then yes, I think he solves maybe one problem and creates another one because you know, like as soon as he comes in the game, like if Marcus, I'm sorry, if Jason Tatum is out of the game, that he's going into the game whenever George Hill comes in. It's like attack that man. And yeah, I mean, he's not a he's not a turnstile. Let's not act like George Hill is a turnstile on defense. No, he's not a turnstile, but he's coming off of that injury, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's going to be asking him a lot to sure. be in in shape, in playoff shape, and it just gives gives him a, a place to target. So, absolutely, I don't know. Like, I, I think I think look, you can say the same thing. You know, Marcus Smart sat out, and the Celtics won by you know twenty three or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think Marcus coming back, obviously. Help obviously helps, um, yes. but but you know also he he was one of the culprits in game one for the quick shooting and it just drove me crazy the Celtics in game one with their one pass and shoot and part of the reason why I think they shot better now forty six percent is a little high the sixty five percent the beginning was very much fueled by Jalen Brown going you know full super mode like he's <laughs> first first quarter Jalen is a thing. Like Jalen Brown in the first quarters is just like monstrous, and so you, you know he'll he'll score eighteen in the first quarter and finish the game with twenty six. But um, I, I think Marcus was part of that like quick just catch and shoot, and, and in game two the Celtics really generated a lot of better looks, especially from the corners by moving the ball and and multiple attacks which was my emphasis after game one, multiple attacks, get that Bucks, you know, expand and contract, expand and contract. And when you hit that paint a couple of times, the second or third time you hit that paint, that Bucks defense really wants to collapse. And you can start to, you start to see all of the eyes just focusing on the ball and you can start hitting those guys in the corners and hitting some of those defenders with back screens to prevent them from getting out to the corner and getting yourself some open shots. So I think that's going to be a huge key for the Celtics. Now, one thing I saw in the second half of game two where the, the Bucs made their big run was the Celtics had problems with Giannis as the screener. And I'm very curious to see how the Celtics are going to handle that in game three. Ime talked about some specific things without saying which specific things that he was targeting defensively. That has to be one of them, where Giannis sets the screen and everybody's so concerned with Giannis getting the ball back that they just the seas parted and there's Pat Connaughton laying the ball up. And you're like, well, that's not what we want either. So 
Giannis as the screener is going to be, a, I think, something that the, the Bucs, and you tell me, I, I think the Celtics, the, the Bucks might lean on that, and the Celtics have to figure out how to prevent that from getting other guys going. Yeah, I think they'll sprinkle it in, and we've seen it in the past in situations where Giannis might be uh, struggling uh, with the attention that he's receiving or struggling for his efficiency. It's like, okay, how can we use this guy knowing that all the focus is on him, particularly without Chris Milton on the floor. But we've also seen it in the past when Chris has been playing. And even with a guy that shoots the ball as well as Chris Milton, we've seen that if Giannis is used as a screener, uh, sometimes they set the screen around the free throw line on the elbows in the mid-range. And even in those situations, teams are, are backpedaling so much because they're worried about Giannis that Chris Milton's walking into mid-range after mid-range and just knocking them down. And it's it's kind of one of those amusing things to see the gravity that Giannis has. So I think that they'll sprinkle that in there a little bit more. I also do think, as I've pointed to, they need to try and find uh, some ways. And they've done this in the past where they've been able to use, okay, how do we get Brook Lopez? No, we don't have room to post him up. Can we get him roll into the basket and then have Giannis as a cutter? Because Giannis is obviously a really dangerous player off the ball as well. But because mm-hmm. of the limitations of the lineups they have, they've probably been concerned about not having the ball in his hand and who's creating. But I think you're right. I do, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think there was some serious shock factor in game two for the Bucs and probably for Giannis about the way the Celtics covered. And he he looked a little bit frustrated. He looked like he wasn't quite sure how to quite uh, crack that code. Maybe the three days uh, maybe the three days has helped him out there as well. I think both of these teams would be back to the drawing board and see what they can do. As we said, it's been a week. We've only played two games. Best of five series. <laughs> Which brings me to the point. Did you have Celtics in six or Celtics in five? Which, by the way, all options are still live. I, I said Celtics in six. My okay, my so- my feeling was, uh, I wrote this on Boston Sports Journal, split, I, I thought they were going to split in Boston. I think they're going to split in Milwaukee. I think Boston takes game five, and then they win in, in game six in Milwaukee, which is asking a lot to do that. I can see them winning at home and holding home court, and maybe it's Celtics in seven, and we just go mm-hmm. home court after this. But I I can see the Celtics picking up one of these two games in Milwaukee. And I, 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 think, I think it's very – it's obviously a very even series. Um, I'm, I'm not too worried if it's game three or game four. But, yeah, I, I still am sticking to Celtics in six, um, giving, giving the Bucs the full respect of what they've done, and this is going to be hard. And I think you were right before, like game three is going to be, this is where both teams go. Okay. You, you punched us. We punched you. We both got our knees wobbled. Now we're coming out and we were boxing, you know? And I think this is, this is where it's going to get to be a lot of fun, but yeah, I'm going to stick to Celtics and six. I can't wait for game three. Um, You mentioned the Celtics were probably, uh, let's say uh, not coming off the best preparation for a Milwaukee series after their first round. And uh, the Bucks. At times, again, I thought their defense was fine, but I thought that they were perhaps a little satisfied in game two. I think the possession at the end of the sure. first quarter, the, the possession at the end of the first quarter was a perfect encapsulation. They get it back to nine points. You're sitting there watching this game thinking, geez, the Bucks have just been obliterated. But they're down nine. Okay, that's fine. There's seven seconds left on the clock. Jalen Brown dribbles the ball right up the floor, dishes to Jason Tatum for a layup. And it's like, okay, something seems not quite mm-hmm. right here. And it was one of those nights for the Bucks. So we'll see. I think both teams for game three will be sharp they'll be fresh uh i'm curious i can't wait yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be a lot of fun and then 
No, we'll figure out. Maybe another time we get one more crossover in here, um, and we'll see. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very like I don't know how much we've actually learned from this the series. Times. So I think Game Three will will tell us a lot, and um, I know each of our fan bases are hoping that it tells us a lot about their favorite team. So uh, I implore everybody to subscribe to both of our podcasts because even if you want to hate listen to one of us, um, I think it's like, honestly, I love, uh, because my job, I like, I'm, I'm a beat writer. I cover, I cover the team after a game I'm writing and you know, it's hours after the game. So by the time I'm ready to drive home, I get the locked on bucks and and like I can hear your reaction. So when I come back to podcasts, I'm like, all right, I already get the Bucks perspective. Getting the other team's perspective is huge, even if you disagree with it. Mm-hmm. I think it's very, very important. So subscribe to Lockdown Bucks, subscribe to Lockdown Celtics, subscribe to the YouTube pages, and uh share the podcasts. Tell your friends, tell everybody they should be listening to and watching both Lockdown Bucks, Lockdown Celtics, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network.